Welcome to On the Side with Jackie London, a BS-free podcast where we're talking all things food, nutrition, and wellness to help you build healthier habits that stick. As a registered dietitian, author, journalist, and former clinician turned content creator, I've heard and seen it all. Join me each week as I debunk diet myths, explore the latest wellness trends, and answer all of your pressing listener questions. Plus, we'll hear from a guest who will kick off each interview weekly with a soup-to-nuts rundown and, okay, sometimes analysis of what they're eating, cooking, ordering in, or where they're dining out with tons of delicious ideas, lots of laughs, and plenty of pro tips in between. The one thing I can actually guarantee, I'll serve up tangible, actionable strategies to help you apply the science behind what works to what works best for you. Listeners, welcome back to On the Side with yours truly, Jackie London. Today, I have an amazing guest. Brenna O'Malley is a registered dietitian. She is the founder of the online non-diet community and virtual private practice called The Wellful, and she is now based in San Francisco, California. Brenna specializes in helping people move away from dieting and disordered eating patterns to develop a healthier relationship with food and their body. She's passionate about changing the language we use to talk about nutrition and health in media and online and in food marketing. And she just has such a clear and very both evidence-based, but also really realistic perspective about how we talk about food and its relationship on our health. And sometimes when it has nothing to do with physical health, but actually has much more to do with emotional and psychological health. So we get into all of this. We talked about the impact of social media and the portrayal of like these what I eat in a day videos that are just like everywhere. It feels like they had a resurgence. Am I right? Um, we talk about what it means to um, to present something one way, but deliver something another way and how that happens everywhere. And that's basically the entire construct that is social media algorithms. We really got into a lot of different topics. I am going to just share a trigger warning that for anyone who is um, currently struggling with disordered eating patterns, this, we definitely go into a number of these topics. So that's your trigger warning right there at the top. But I would definitely encourage everyone to check Brenna out on Instagram and anywhere at The Wellful. And her website is also thewellful.com. So you can look that up as well. But I think you're going to love this conversation. It was really fun. It was so insightful. And it was honestly just great to catch up with Brenna. So I hope you enjoy. As always, you can find me at Jacqueline London RD on Instagram and everywhere. Um, And you can always email me Jacqueline at JacquelineLondonRD.com. All right, guys. Can't wait to hear what you think of the episode. But first, let's get to a quick listener question. Is going vegan good for you? Okay, so the short answer is that in theory, kind of, but in reality, it it's rarely the case. So here's the deal. No animal products whatsoever is really what classifies veganism, right? It's no meat, no red meat, no cheese, dairy, seafood, eggs. And honestly, if that kind of sounds straightforward to you. I I promise it's often not. And that's because a lot of the ingredients that we cook with, like chicken broth or stock, or even any of the foods or ingredients that you don't spend that much time thinking about, like say when you eat at a restaurant, um, all of those things can have animal products or be made with animal derived ingredients. 
The questions that I get asked the most on the topic of veganism is, first, is it good for your heart? Like, is it good for heart health and cardiovascular health in general? And two, will it help me lose weight? So let me answer both of those by saying, again, maybe, but probably not. So you guys have heard me say this plenty of times now, but cutting out a food group doesn't tell me much as a practitioner, right? Because that's not a predictor of the future you who's going to still have to eat to survive, which is true of all of us humans. It's only going to be as beneficial for you as the foods that you're replacing those burgers with. And in an age where we have garbage like Impossible Burger and Beyond Meat and things that wind up having ingredients that actually use way more ingredients, period. So just right there, right? Like whereas ground beef is like just ground beef. They also can be much higher in saturated fat and sodium. And they're often using lots of different ingredients to recreate the flavor of meat, in which case I say just have the meat. And that is from a health standpoint, I should mention. I'm not talking about someone who says to me, I just don't really feel like I can wrap my mind around the cow. And that's your choice. Like, I'm not here to judge that. I'm just here to talk to you about what it means from a health standpoint. So one thing I wanted to clarify right there. Okay. So From a heart health standpoint, high-fat meats like red meat and processed meat, and certainly full-fat dairy products as well, these are automatically going to be higher in total calories. They're going to provide calories from saturated fat simply based on their biochemical or chemical, rather, composition, right? Just based on the nutrition facts of the product. So if you wind up replacing things like bacon and burgers with more veggies more often, then you're probably going to both reduce risk of cardiovascular disease and also lose some weight, right? Because right there, you have already taken a step that kind of hits both of those factors. You've cut down on the total calories that are coming from the saturated fat-filled meats, right? But you are also including foods that have more antioxidants. And that's something that I really wanted to get to next. So why is a more plant-focused or, or plant-rich diet often considered to be better for you. That's because they are, plants are naturally going to be higher in much needed dietary fiber, antioxidants, and key minerals. Diets that are higher in fiber are satiating, right? Like they will help you to stay fuller longer and having protein from a plant-based protein source like chickpeas, lentils, beans, peas, nuts, seeds. These are all going to be those rich in protein and fiber sources that can also really contribute to you feeling more satisfied on the whole. So again, for heart health and weight management, it's only going to be as good as what you replace that meat product or meat-derived ingredient with. So that is really where I land on this topic, right? My beef with vegan... (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even mean to make that joke. My beef with vegan really is that, you know, meat, dairy, butter, poultry, seafood, they're all great things that the world gave to the prehistoric man. I mean, not to like sound like I'm some kind of paleo enthusiast, which I am absolutely most certainly not because I'm a scientist and there's just no science there. (laughs) But I feel like the sweeping nature of veganism is far too restrictive for us as a label 
And it actually may work out that certain meals you have over the course of a week are more plant-focused or have more plants in it. And actually, you just find that you're naturally cutting back on meat. That's really the goal when I'm working with clients, right, is that I am getting you to focus on what you can include more of rather than what you need to take away. So my biggest kind of issues with the idea of using the term plant-based or vegan as a marketing slogan or as a pitch, essentially, is that when you get to the supermarket and you see all of these products labeled vegan, things made with, let's say, coconut milk, like like coconut milk ice cream. This drives me nuts, although I did just see a really interesting piece of news that a major maker of coconut milk ice cream is actually going to start making dairy products. A lot of these products that are meant to be the vegan or the gluten-free or the dairy, whatever it is, they're often filled with so much more garbage, emulsifying ingredients, and tons of added sugar than their original dairy-based versions. Same is true of meat, same is true of eggs, same is true of poultry, right? And you already know my real beef with Impossible Burger and Beyond Meat are some of these like that have these um, higher in saturated fat, higher in sodium nutritional profiles. My other beef with the label of vegan is when the mayor of New York City, where I live, gave this restriction to school-aged kids for no apparent reason other than personal experience having a successful lifestyle change on a vegan diet. You know, I mean, that to me is just like school-aged kids, well, how does this one person know what school-age kids are interested in eating? It just feels sort of arbitrary to me, and it doesn't feel like it really came from doing some research to see where we might both cut cost and provide food that kids actually want to eat, but I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I just think that nothing restrictive should ever be forced on people, but especially not your kids. And in general, that leads me to my sort of last point here, which is that I'm not here for the concept of unnecessary restriction. Again, restrictive diets, ones that eliminate entire food groups or nutrients on the whole, they're only as good as the foods that you're replacing the missing ones with. Second is that necessary restrictions are a real thing too. And necessary restrictions mean either you don't like the taste of something, totally fine. That's a necessary restriction. If you don't want to eat something, you shouldn't have to. Second, you have an intolerance or perhaps you have an allergy. Those things, majorly necessary restrictions. And three, you just don't fucking feel like it. And that's okay too. Because you're allowed to say that for one lunch, you're a vegan and that's fine with me. My, I think that my issue is more of the idea that labels are just kind of early 2000s. Like, let's just try to eat more plants and include some of these foods that we love, including meat, as often as we can and with a frequency that prioritizes those plants and cuts back on added sugar, saturated fat, and sodium from sources that we may otherwise have thought were healthy. That's always my bottom line here, guys, is transparency above all else. I think the more you know about what's in food and what certain marketing claims are saying to you when you get to the supermarket, that's really important here too. And it really can help you make more empowered choices that work for your lifestyle. All right, let's get into today's episode. I'm so happy to talk to you. I'm so happy to finally reconnect with you. And the irony of that is doing so when you've moved all the way across the country. What <laughs> Tell us, Brenna, tell us about your West Coast. Tell us about your West Coast living and why you love it. And tell us about the activities. <laughs> just give our listeners a little sense of the activities that you're currently doing. <laughs> I was just telling Jackie that I moved to the West Coast about a year and a half ago, October, 2020. And I was like, and I love the, act- there's so many activities you can do. So we're making fun of the word activities, but I really, I really do did not know that there were so many activities that you could do. Endless. 
the week. Like, I feel like, I think because the weather is like sort of temperate around, like it's foggy and whatever else, but I just like being able to get outside around like the whole year or like bike to the beach. It's like two and a half miles from my house. And I'm like, that is really so nice to me. It's not a beach that like laying out in a bathing suit, but it's like a walking in like a bundled up situation. And that's kind of cozy. That's a dream. That's a dream situation. Cause that's an all year round beach. You know, like then you don't have to worry. You're not like, oh, I'm worried about the hurricanes coming. You're like, no, I'm worried about watching where I step on these rocks. Like just seeing the huge waves. (laughs) Yeah. And I I love like, you know, just like being, being able to do a bunch of things outside, like, you know, like hiking or um, just like being able to like, you know, walk around and kind of go to different coasts, like little beach towns, like down the coast is super nice. So, and I have a really good group of friends out here that I knew from college. So so I feel like that's also just been super lucky to kind of be able to like be in an area that I'm so close to so many, so many great people. That is so nice. I'm I'm also trying not to laugh because hiking is another one of those activities that when you're on the West Coast, you it's a must do. You don't like in New York, you wouldn't say <laughs> we got to no. go. We're meeting today to go for a hike. Like you, if you're doing that, you're really you got to leave the city unless you were talking about going from like one part of Fifth Avenue to the other part because that can be uphill. So like, <laughs> but otherwise, it's not really it's not quite the definition of a hike. Yeah, I hear that. All right. In the spirit of us getting really into things, and I want to start with something that I just think is so mission critical for us Mm -hmm. and for us to hear from you, is understanding that like a huge part of the training of of our mutual training and then the Your Intuitive Eating Certification Program, the term gentle nutrition. Mm -hmm. We got to clarify this because I feel like this is everywhere. And also it's like the kind of thing that then bubbles up on social that becomes like a it's not anti-nutrition. It's anti-diet. Tell us what you mean by this. Tell us what gentle nutrition means. Give us the whole rundown. Yeah. So I think of this gentle nutrition as it's part of the pillars of intuitive eating, which was like, you know, has some like research studies around it around like was, was a book also written by like Mm -hmm. Evelyn Tripoli and Elise Rash, who are two dietitians, but gentle nutrition, basically, I think the way that I'll approach this is normally like in the context of the framework of your relationship with food. Right. So not just like information about nutrition, right? Not just like nutrition facts or like these are some foods that you can eat and the the nutrition components of them, right? Or how they work in your body. Also in the context of like what's fueling your food choices, right? Like what are, how is your relationship with food and how are we using this information in a way that feels helpful instead of sometimes overwhelming. And sometimes I think about the visual of like, if you think about your relationship with food as like the foundation of like a house sort of, if we're just putting all these nutrition specifics on top of this foundation that is kind of rocky and not super stable, then it's not so helpful, even though that information might be great and might be helpful to someone else, but kind of, you know, rebuilding your relationship with food first so that that nutrition information can be used in a way that feels helpful to you and supportive to you. And I think there's like different times where some of that information might be more helpful or less helpful to you. But I think it's more about like the delivery of it than, you know, the information itself. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, I think what is so interesting about the conversations online or sometimes the marketing of intuitive eating, I'm fairly certain that this was not the intention when the concept was founded is the polarization of like different schools of thought is that we're really, listen, we're not a majority group here. Dietitians, it's like, it's, it's, there's already so many, it's fraught with so many issues of the barriers to entry. Then, then once you're in, how many people can possibly stay with this amount of school for so long? (laughs) 
<laughs> it's already just really, there's just some major challenges with it. And those are more than we have time for in this particular moment. But like the idea of it is that it's almost like we have taken for granted some of the things that are so deeply a part of the training, which is that like you do have to learn how sometimes, and sometimes you have to relearn how to actually listen to your own body or to really know what you personally need in a given moment. And especially when there's so many messages coming at you all the time, it just feels like it can be so overwhelming. And I think, I think social media is hard, right? Because it's, it only gives you this tiny snippet. And I feel like every post that I make, I'm like asterisks, you know, like with nuance and like, (laughs) this is a specific example. And, you know, like, I think the way that I think about it is, you know, this is a piece of information, hopefully piques your interest or makes you like think about something in a different way or, you know, stirs up something that like, maybe you'll think a little bit more about like your food choices or how you feel in your body or notice that something that maybe you've taken, you know, thought was normal in your relationship with food or just like was how it had to be. Maybe there's like a different way for it, but I definitely think it does not provide like the space for all of the answers or even like this conversation, I feel like it's almost more nuanced already than just a post can be. A hundred percent. I know it's such a struggle, but I wonder if you could share some of the things that come up the most often, like that you see the most happening on social media that you feel like maybe sort of like overtly a little bit, you know, just sort of the the straightaway pipeline to diet culture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then some of the other things that you see that that might be like a little bit more subtle but are secretly kind of telling you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mixed kind of messages. Like the red flag. Yes. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> the red flags. Brenna's red flags. Here we go. Yes. Well, I think one of the main things is that social media, a lot of social media is like this image based platform, right? Instagram and TikTok. And so right. I think because it's image based, we just like inherently have these associations of what things look like, whether it's like a person's body or their plate or how they're eating or what their day looks like, their skincare routine, like tons of things. Right. And so I think because it's these images mixed with this message of like health, it becomes complicated. And I think there's like, I think it's important to be like critical of a lot of those different pieces because someone could be giving a great message, but the way that maybe they're delivering it can be tricky. So some of those red Mm. flags, I think are like before and after photos, I think even because, because they imply, right. That they can say, have a huge post about how this is not about how my body changes about how I'm feeling about these different behaviors I've engaged in about, you know, these different habits I've picked up. Right. But like the focus and the way that like we receive information on this image-based platform is like really honed in on that change, that physical change. Right. And so it leaves us without the nuance of whatever that caption might say. Also, I think if someone's like sharing like what I ate in a day or like what I ate is, those used to drive me nuts. I feel like those peaked in like, I don't know, 20, 2013 or something. A hundred percent. And then all of a sudden they had this resurgence in 2020. Like it was like, then if you weren't sharing what you were eating on social media (laughs) during the pandemic, what were you even doing? You know, Mm -hmm. it's like you, it went from, went quickly zero to a hundred from banana bread to a full days of full day of meals. (laughs) Like you just had, it felt like it really had a resurgence. I'm totally with you. Tell us why. I remember like when I was in my internship, I tried to start this like hashtag that was like hashtag why I ate Wednesday. Yes. And so instead of like just looking at the food choices, right, which again, kind of strips us of the nuance of like, how much time does this person have? Where are they getting their groceries? What's their access to food like? What's their education around food like, right? All these different, what are their food preferences, their dietary restrictions, right? And instead being like, why are you making these 
choices, right? And how that would kind of show more nuance than just what this person is eating or a photo of like this beautifully curated kind of perfect looking plate. And instead being like, okay, I had a lot of time this morning and I made my favorite breakfast that like makes me feel really good. And then I was really had like a bunch of back-to-back meetings. So I had this like granola bar because wasn't my favorite thing to have, but I knew I needed to have something because I just didn't have time to have something else, right? Or whatever it is. I think that just shows more of the context to your eating and your day than just an image or just seeing what someone else ate. Because a lot of the times we just want to like copy that or think that that means that this person, you know, their eating is like better than someone else's or that you should be eating what this person eats or that if you eat like this person, then you will look like this person, which I think is a huge message that is out there intentionally or unintentionally or, you know, just byproduct of sharing it. And I think that's a, a really big red flag if it feels like someone is kind of sharing a lot of things like this is what I do because, you know, and right. it's like, that's awesome. It's great to see. It's cool that people can do things that feel good to them. But when it's kind of sold in this way of like, and you can do it too, to like, look like me or have the same as me, that's not so great. That's a huge red flag. I was just thinking as you were saying that, that I really got so into this series that's on YouTube that would be like, what X huge name celebrity eats in a day? And it's, I think it's Harper's Bazaar is doing Mm. it. And it's so well-produced. It's well-produced even when you know that it was coming from someone's like Zoom camera and whatever. But the whole thing is very much meant to be a way into the day in the life kind of idea. And I thought like, okay, this is such a smart use of this platform with this channel, with this long form video content. So it's on YouTube. It's not just a snippet. It's not just Mm -hmm. a 10 second TikTok, which I feel like that was once a thing. And that some of them were really though dependent on the person, right? Like that you could distinguish that kind of nuance of this is what I do and therefore it might work for you with some people who would be on there and other people, it would be like, oh, I just learned so much about them. That was cool, right? Like that, that, (laughs) that that can change depending on what's actually being said. That's so cool. Yeah. I think it's, it's so interesting to see how, how people share that or, or the different ways that you can, right. but it, it kind of makes me think too, of like all of those magazine, I feel like this, I don't know, even, but like, you know, or even headlines now of like, this is like JLo's diet. This is what JLo yeah. eats. In the diet. And then it's kind of shared in the way that one, I think we're just naturally curious and love to hear right. what we're doing. But then it's also like this idea that like, I think there's sometimes this subliminal message that if you eat in this way that someone else does, that you yes. morph into theirs, right? Like, even if we don't mean it in a, such a literal sense, but there is sort of this like underlying expectation that, you know, if you were to copy what someone else is eating or like eat in this way of this like meal plan that's shared, that that would happen to some degree. And right. I think that's a really flawed um piece that, that comes up and adds a lot of pressure to eating kind of makes you like not trust whatever you're doing and constantly be looking to see what someone else is doing. Right. So oh kind of my like, God. Oh. Yes. No, it really reminds me of when working for yourself that you're a, lo- a solo entity, right? Like that you may mm-hmm. have people dependent on you, but you're not, you're sort of in charge of decision-making. And so what, I mean, the worst thing that can happen is that you make the wrong choice and then you've learned something. So it's really, there is no real downside, right? But the, the idea that that idea is, is very much the same when it comes to food, right? Like if you feel like you're just so tired after you had that X piece of whatever, like thing that, that happened to be out in the middle of your morning meeting, then you've learned that that will make you tired probably 
more of the time, but that's still not really that finite, even that, even in that example, right? Like it can still depend on what you had before. It can depend on how much sleep you got last night, how it may depend on what else you're doing for the rest of the day. So there's always the context that, that really makes the difference. Totally. Totally. I, I like what you said there. Cause I think a lot of the times I frame up eating as like an experiment, like yes. we're going to try this out and like, we'll find out, like, we'll find out some information, right? We'll find out if this, like how you felt after, if you were like still hungry, like maybe we'll add something to this next time. It's like, you know, this was like made you really overly full. Like maybe we'll adjust something there next right. time. Or, you know, like if this is a long stretch of the day and like you didn't bring something ahead of time because you thought it would be fine. Like, okay, let's like adjust. Right. And I think that also takes some of the pressure off of needing to have everything be like perfect on the first try and just know yeah. all of the answers. And it's like, we kind of have to figure it out. Like we're kind of like piecing it through right. and, and trying and that's okay too. Yes. So speaking of the internet for a second, <laughs> let's go back to this reel. My favorite thing that I've seen in a while. It was really so good. It made me laugh so hard, um, which was the pipeline. I'm just going to read the caption that you had written um, for, for listeners. So this was on Brenna's social media on her Instagram account, right? It's Instagram, the wellful. Yes. Okay. The wellful everyone. I'm just going to say that again so that everyone can hear it. <laughs> <laughs> the Wellful. Okay. But this is the post. This is the caption. When you've been tuned in to the wellness slash social media space long enough to know the unfortunate pipeline of someone posting their daily workouts, followed by showing their healthified lunch prep, followed by being obsessed with their healthy lifestyle, and then pursuing some type of nutrition fitness certificate. And that actually so often really struggling with their relationship with body, food, and exercise. Okay. Where do we even start with this? Give us a picture of this scenario. Let's just narrow it down. I have seen this pipeline <laughs> and it is real. It is happening everywhere. Why? It almost feels like a doubling down. Like I'm going really hard into this to try and see if I can muscle my way through it rather than thinking like, oh, actually maybe this is not what I should be consuming online all the time. Mm-hmm. Tell us, tell us what, tell us everything. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, I do think that I think it's like, like you said, it's just like something you really see in in an interesting way. And I think it makes sense that like someone who's maybe interested in nutrition or movement or body image, like is attracted to, right. To those different pieces. Also someone who like struggles in those areas would be attracted to that field. But I I think that it's kind of like shows this like obsession sort of culture that comes up with, I think sometimes it's like a seeking of like answers, right. Of like, okay, I'm going to like learn as much as I can about nutrition because I'm super interested in it or because I want to have like the perfect diet. Right. Mm. And then it kind of can meld into these other pieces. And I, I think it's also like this pressure that, and the praise that comes with like eating in a certain way and showing that on social media in a certain way and like sharing what you're eating in a day or sharing your workouts. And then that's kind of like really praised as far as like being really healthy or maybe like becomes part of your identity. And then you kind of just snowball a bit into, I think it's super common too in, in dietetics. Like I know both my internship and my undergrad program were pretty adamant about like kind of talking about how it's really common that people be like struggling with their relationship with food in this field, because it's just like, you get so much information about it. It makes sense that it would kind of attract people who are maybe also struggling with some of those concepts in itself. So I think that social media just kind of amplifies that and puts it like sort of in this like pressurized system that so true. 
And then we, then, then on the other side of that, it's like, that's a lot of the messages that, you know, someone is receiving too, is not necessarily from someone who is, you know, even maybe has like the most like certifications or education around this, but it can just be someone who's kind of in this social media certificate yes. vibe of like, yes. they're really good at posting on social media and sharing all these things, but just because they're sharing it or have a really big following doesn't mean that it's actually a good example of a positive or healthy relationship with food or even any background in nutrition. It might just be that it's like, it looks really good and it might be like more on like kind of the obsessive or not so, not so healthy mm. side. You know, what's also so interesting about that is that when you think about how, where we started with these platforms being sort of like initially personal marketing or just ways to connect, right? Like, I don't think they even started as, I think it's really was just about connection at inception, mm -hmm. but it now has become like your own personal branding platform, right? Like that you can sort of say these things some people work full time only through these mediums. So then you're basically saying that is your whole identity meant to be the marketing or can those two things be separate, right? Like, or that, that almost it's like the grain of salt component of maybe for some, maybe not for others, maybe for, because with whatever you do, no matter whether it's nutrition or not, you sort of need to have some separation between your personal and professional life. So it feels like it feels like a big question mark right now, kind of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Like super, super intertwined. And I think it's hard because I think it's so, I think kind of the more you share on a platform, I think often I also have like pretty much like a separation between like right. my personal and, and like the wellful, but I'm definitely on there. Cause I am like a person, right. you know? but, but I think, right. I think the more that you share can also increase like how much people are engaged with you too. So I right. feel like it's, it's a hard cycle. And I think some people balance that really well. And I think of course, still keep some things like for themselves, but do share a lot. And I think that's great. But then right. I, I do think it's a tricky balance. I would think right. to, to right. kind of figure out what works for you, especially if it's something that you're kind of struggling with or feel like, right. right like you're getting really wrapped into that identity piece. Like I think a lot of like food and relationship with food, like I, I work with a lot of like people who are dietitians, which is like, yeah. because it's like, there's, it makes sense that you would have all of these different pressures on like, even, even like that people are coming to you for nutrition advice. Maybe you're struggling with your own relationship with food. Like that's kind of a complicated situation right. or like can be a lot of pressure. So I do think there's just a lot of social media, I think is awesome because it gives people like a platform, right? Like in, in these ways that you can grow these businesses and do these different things. And a lot of my business has like grown through social media mm. pretty organically, which I feel very like lucky for. But I also think it's this double-edged thing of we get all these other messages and it means everyone can have a platform, which that right. means that the information that you're getting is kind of like unregulated in a lot of ways. And just like, you can find anything that you want or don't want. So... Well said. So well said. And also you can always find the affirmation and not the information. <laughs> like there's always a way. And then, and then when it comes to food in particular, there's also so much nuance to it that, that finding information, yes, you can get statistics about like beta carotene in pumpkin, but like that is an agnostic fact, right? But like mm -hmm. why you would eat it may or may not have anything to do with that. So like mm -hmm. there, there's just so much more to it. So interesting. Okay. All right. So what about this? And this is something that I feel like I really struggle with. And I feel like you have really found such a great balance of, of being able to do this and to provide the context that actually 
is so meaningful that makes such a difference. So something that you posted that, that this is a perfect example of this is how much more satisfying it can feel to have the freedom to eat like the actual fucking rice, right? Like <laughs> rather than the cauliflower rice especially when you're coming from a history of disordered eating or if you are struggling with, you know, anxieties around, do I have the rice or should I really have cauliflower rice or I don't know. Totally hear that. On the flip side of it, my my sort of question mark comes out that's like, I recommend cauliflower rice all the time because we also know statistics about, you know, one in 10 Americans isn't getting enough veggies or fruit in a day. And so to have a family-friendly meal where you can maybe combine the cauliflower rice with the rice and, and all of that, and to make a meal where you can include more vegetables, anytime you can include more vegetables, I usually feel like you're probably starting something off on the right path. That's a huge oversimplification and generalization about like where the intention is coming from. But the idea being that in some contexts, this is great. And then in other contexts, this can be tricky. So like, tell us a little bit more about that. When does this come up? How often are you seeing this? And and can you give us some other examples of it? I think of it as like the context again. Like I think that is the reason that someone is choosing cauliflower rice because they feel very like a lot of anxiety or guilt or shame if they were to choose the other, like to choose a non-cauliflower or non-veggie option, if they were to have a grain. Have an actual rice, you mean? Right. Then I think (laughs) Actual rice. Yeah. Right. Then that to me, I'm like, that sounds like something that's like maybe coming up. Right. And like, is kind of challenging, but if it's the choice of like, I haven't had many vegetables today, I really like cauliflower rice. I'm going to add this in here, or I'm going to like add something in. I think that is a totally neutral option too. Right. Right. I think it's like, the context behind the choice. I also think that that would be like my main piece even. Right. And I think right. then sometimes I think even the things that I share on social media are much more like, you do not need to choose the cauliflower rice version instead of the rice. But it's like, if you want to, that's awesome. Right. But right. it's like, if you feel like you need to, or you're feeling guilt or that message resonates with you because often you've like thought that the only way to be healthy was to always choose the cauliflower rice version or to like make your sandwiches out of bell peppers, which is a trend on social media. Oh my God. Or like the lettuce leaves. Yeah. Like the, the bell pepper, like clamshell. It's a garnish. It's a garnish. It's a garnish for your bloody Mary. I don't know why you thought that was bread. (laughs) Right. Right. So it's like, if you feel like that's like the way that you need to like be healthy, or this is like the only way to be, or there's a lot of pressure or shame or guilt around that then I think that's a much different situation than saying like, this is an awesome way to add in some vegetables here. And it's like convenient. You can keep it frozen in your freezer, right? You can have it on hand. You can stir it up. You can add all these different things to it. So I think of it as what's your like, why around that? Yeah. You know, what's so interesting about it is that it's really not a food shift at all. It's a mindset shift. And I, I sort of like tired of that phrase because I feel like it's been co-opted and overused mm-hmm. a little bit, but it, but it really is. I mean, it's really just a, about the, why are you choosing this versus the, what are you choosing again? Mm-hmm. I mean, I hate to, I hate to really beat that drum, but I, I have to, cause it, it feels yeah. like the right drum. We were talking about this a little bit off air too, but like the why versus the what of like what we're yeah. eating. And I think of it as like, we get so much information around what to eat. I think, you know, and I think there's like the access to that information and who's getting that information is a whole thing, right? I think like right. we should all be able to have access to that. 
but also I think the why of it, right? Like if we're just seeing headlines that like I was quoted in an article recently around like, do chia seeds help with weight loss? And it's like, I answered it kind of being like one food does not result in like a change in your weight. Like this has all these benefits. You can include it in your food in this way. It might change like satiety around things that can add different protein and fiber. Right. And like, but if we're looking at foods as like, they have this like singular function or they like make you healthy or unhealthy by this like single food choice, it's just a lot of pressure, I think on that food instead of the context or like the why that you're having them. What did the chia seed do to deserve such pressure? Honestly, <laughs> we're putting a lot of weight on that poor little seed. It's an ancient seed. seed. <laughs> we only discovered it somewhere around 2012, I feel like. Like... <laughs> Like before it was flax seeds, you know, like that's just a lot mm-hmm. of pressure for one tiny baby seed to I carry around. Yeah. It's honestly, point. it's no, rude. It's in on <laughs> Maybe we should be. We need to do a wellness check on the chia seed. Mm-hmm. No one asked them how they're feeling about this. I mean, it just feels like a lot. It's a lot to carry. There's a lot. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. It's a large burden. <laughs> so just for context, I'll just share this little story here, which is that I just remember the first story that I worked on, first big food nutrition story that I worked on in Kodaskabing was uh, back in the days of the old meal plans, right? Like where we would, that was like so much more a part of, of lifestyle magazines at the time. And the cover line that was of interest was jumpstart, or I think it was detox. I think it was like a detox something. And I lost my mind. Cause I, I just remember thinking before I took this job that I was like, I'm not falling for that. Like, I, I'm sorry. We can't be saying that. It's literally the most backwards phrase on the plate. Like it just makes no sense. It's it just redundant to what the functions of your bodily organs. We don't like, this is just lying to people to get them to buy magazines. And I was basically like, <laughs> That was shut down and I wasn't going to quit over it. You know, like that sort of idea was the the headline versus the actual meat of of what was in the article, which I was so proud of because it, I've worked so hard on it and it was like such a labor of love. And it was, I also was so nervous about it, the whole thing. But there's so many layers to that, right? Like the problem almost is that we we know that this kind of phrase, like the detox on the cover of a magazine, and granted, this is a number of years ago, this was 2014, that phrase on the cover of a magazine would, might help to sell magazines, right? And ultimately what you want is someone to be getting the actual information that's in there, which is good information, right? Like, which I've, I felt really great about and that I felt really proud of, right? But how... We go about getting there, and you just mentioned this when you said this about the poor chia seed that we need to check on, is that like the article that you had been quoted in was, do chia seeds help you lose weight? And that is a cover line. That's a real, like that's in the digital world, that's a cover line too, right? Like that's a search term. So how do we, as a profession, I mean, just to feel, if you'll just speak for all of us, Brenda, please, (laughs) like how do we sort of negotiate that feeling, right? Like the, you want the information to come from a dietitian, right? Like at the end of the day, on the whole, you'd much prefer to see nutrition information come from a dietitian than come from someone who is a wellness influencer in some form, right? But at the same time, then these kind of compromises come up that feel like a massive gut check, like, whoa, I really didn't want X to be associated with me or like that mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, I, I I hope that when you see a headline and then your name is under it, it feels like, or you're quoted in it, it can feel like, 
almost shocking, but it's like you have to play in a little in order to get there. So that was a long-winded way of me talking. I'm going to shut up and just hear what you think about that. (laughs) No, I think that's such a good point. I I think about that all the time because it's kind of like, okay, would this be a good place to have this message? Right. And like, I, this is probably a community potentially who would be like interested in this message. Right. And if we, I think kind of like, if I don't respond in here, but I'm sure there are other people as well who right. are like answering these different right, things. Right. The only one at all, but, um, you know, it's kind of a, a mix of like, okay, maybe this is a positive place to have this message, right? right. Kind of like have this nuance or add this nuance into an article where there might be like differing perspectives, but it's also hard because then it's like, oh, now we'll like someone skims this or like knows that I'm quoted in this. Does it kind of like give off a different impression or something like that? But I think that more conversations, I guess my like broad hope and thought and be interested in your thoughts on this too, yeah. just be like more conversations around that are kind of like poking holes in this really black and white narrative that can often be around food in the media. I would hope that like that can just kind of crack open or start to shed some light on the nuance around it. Because, you know, I think by having more of those conversations or having more of those quotes or more of those like pieces that maybe kind of make someone read through this article, maybe they read it thinking that it was going to be sharing something different but it made them pick it up and then they can kind of get this different information or like a more nuanced approach or just sort of have one of those check-in moments that that's helpful on some level too. And then I would hope that that kind of like snowballs a bit into other areas too, where we could have more nuanced headlines. And I think there have been many more recently, I think too. Let's switch gears for a second because I want to talk about what you are working on now and how your business has evolved as you've moved coasts. So like it's Thursday. We're here. It's a real Mm -hmm. Thursday. Right now we're speaking on a Thursday. It's Thursday afternoon. You have a new client. What is the process of your work with a client, with a new client who's coming to you for, let's say they already understand your approach and they're looking to heal their relationship with food? What is that look like? How does it start? Mm -hmm. Give us everything. Yeah. So, um, normally we'll start with a discovery call. So everyone I talk to for like 15 minutes, have like a free discovery call. And and I think that's for both of us. Like, I think that's both for like the potential client to kind of like get a sense of like me and, and what the approach is and like kind of answer any questions. And then also for me to kind of like, make sure this sounds like an appropriate level of care and that they're interested in, you know, the work that I'm doing and just like that everyone feels good going into that first session. And so the first session is really like a lot of background information. I want to know like what your relationship with food was like growing up. What are your first memories around food? You know, what were your parents, you know, your caregivers, like what were their relationships with, with food? Were people on diets in your house? Were there certain foods that were off limits? What was your relationship with like disordered eating, dieting, body image, weight from childhood up until now? And I think that gives us a really good like sweeping picture of all of their past experiences and like maybe different diets that they've been on different, maybe dietitians or like experiences they've had with like nutrition or plans in the past. And also like what would success mean to them for moving forward? Oh, such a good question. What would you be, I I don't want to say looking for, but like Mm -hmm. what, what, what would help you decide in an answer that this is, and and I mean this obviously genuinely, but like when you're deciding whether or not you're going to work with someone, what would an answer to that sound like that would be like, this is the right fit. I think we're good. Yeah. I think a lot of the times, um, and I feel lucky with this because I think since so many people find me through social media, a lot of people have like a really good idea of like me, my approach. They like saw a specific post that they resonated with. So a lot of the times there's like 
I feel right. like that's a nice lead in. Right. Um, but a lot of the times it's like, feel really tired of like thinking about food so much, feel like this is like impacting their interpersonal relationships. Like they feel it's like really difficult for them to like go out to dinner with their partner or with their friends, or they're thinking about food all day long, or if they can't track a meal, then it like kind of throws off their day or the scale is like super powerful in their life. And just wanting a lot of the times more flexibility around food, being able to like not think about food so much and not feeling guilt while they're around, you know, eating. And then a lot of times like body image pieces, like feeling like, you know, it prevents them maybe from like participating fully in their life or like going to different, you know, events or buying new clothes or feeling comfortable in their body or body changes that might've happened. So I would say those are like some of the main often pieces that, that come up around. And it's kind of fun too, because I think that's like a really practical way to like, think about, okay, like what would your life be like if these things were different too, right? It's like, okay, I would like maybe be able to like say yes to this plan that I said no to this week. Cause it felt too stressful or it felt like too overwhelming to think about going to, or I would like, you know, show up, feel a little bit more present. And I think a main goal that I find really fun to like work on with clients, is like a lot of like value-based Yes. Uh, work, right? so yes. Like, Tell us about this. I wanted to ask you about this. Yeah. yeah. What's like really important to you? And like, and what, what are your values and like, how would doing this work let you live more aligned with your values? And maybe that's like, I'm super passionate about my job and I want to be able to like put more work into this, or I'm super passionate about my hobbies, but some of my hobbies, maybe their activities, my activities. Like, <laughs> like take you into like situations that maybe you can't have as much control around food. Like maybe you love like camping or something. And then you're bringing, you know, all these different like camp. Right. I don't know. I'm making this up. Like, no, you know, I hear that. Food. I feel like I've seen that before, even though where, where are they camping? Maybe yeah. outside of my apartment building. I don't know. I <laughs> travel, <laughs> <laughs> And it feels like you want to be able yeah. to enjoy the foods that you're traveling to and not feel like you have to like, you know, vet the restaurants ahead of time and mm. want to just, you know, be able to like enjoy the foods and feel instead of feeling like they're like always off the diet on the diet or like prepping before this vacation or something like that. So I, I find that to be a really cool way to kind of like separate out like what someone's values are versus, versus like some of those like diet past pieces or disordered eating past pieces to kind of get, get to there. This is a little bit of a tangent, but not, not far, not far away. But what do you think about this idea of like looking at the menu ahead of time? I feel like that's one of those old school pieces of advice that I feel like we need to have another look at. What do you think? <laughs> like for someone to look at the menu ahead of time? Yeah. And like know what they're going to get? Yeah. I think, I mean, I've definitely looked at menus ahead of time to like get a vibe of like what's right. going to right? Like I think, right. but I think when it feels like you're looking at the menu to like pick the like healthiest or like lightest option, right. Right. then it's kind of like, that sounds kind of like you're spending a lot of time doing this and then I guess it's like maybe a little bit nuanced too. Maybe there's like something that like looking at this ahead of time in some contexts would relieve you in the moment, right? Of like, yes, right, exactly. Like, be more present if you know that this is really difficult for you. But I would say generally, I think most people have a goal of getting to a place where they can like look at a menu, feel like they're choosing something based on how they're feeling that day, mm. what appeals to them, all these other things, and not feel like it's taking up. Right. All right. So this is one that I really want to talk about because again, this is sort of an ethical question that I think, and and for those who are listening and don't know this about dietetics, but we also, in the same way that physicians take Hippocratic oath, dietitians also have a code of ethics. And and this is one that, that has come up a lot. And I have 
definitely been in groups where we're talking about this before and there's always sort of a different perspective, but everyone feels mixed up about it. And I wonder if you could shed some light on it, which is like someone comes to you and says, I want to lose weight. First of all, right there, what's the process for you? But Mm -hmm. I I mean, what I'm picturing, like just to give a little bit more context to this, what I'm picturing in this is that this is a person who may be otherwise in a, in a pretty generally good state of health, like a solidly, you know, feeling well, but but says I came to this dietitian and I want to lose weight. What are we to do in this moment in a way that both can be helpful, right? Because someone's coming to you versus mm-hmm. coming to, you know, getting something online where they're like shooting injections into them, like hormone injections, which has had a moment for a little while a few years ago, or like doing some kind of crazy thing where they're spending a lot of money to eat art supplies or whatever else. Mm-hmm. Like this type of thing is like just so, it's such a question mark in my brain of mm-hmm. like how to approach this. So I'm wondering if you could tell us, yeah. share with us, how, how, where are we, what do we do? <laughs> Yeah. So normally someone who's like come to my page, like there's some questions that they'll answer to book a discovery call. And one of them is like, how do you feel about an approach that isn't focused on weight loss? And so they will have answered that question to some degree. And a lot of the times people will either write, I feel great about this, or they'll say, I have some questions. And so Mm -hmm. normally then we'll talk about the questions. And I think the way that I'll phrase it is like, what are you looking for? Right. Like, are, is this like your main goal? Because if it's your main goal, it might not be the best fit for you because I think what I'll often work on with clients is like their behaviors around food and using those as our forms of like outcome and like our, our change in, in health or how they're feeling around food. Like if like instances of like binging or feeling out of control around food or restriction or Mm. if they're eating the day. Right. I think, and kind of coming up with that list with clients as well of like, what are these metrics that we're going to look at? And through that, their weight may change, but it also may not. And basically I I frame it as like, this isn't a guarantee. And that like, we work on like feeling like they can take care of and like respect their body as it is now. And as we do this work. So sometimes that's like a really interesting conversation with clients. Sometimes that's not something that someone is interested in. And then I'm like happy to like give a list of like some other dietitians who I would suggest that they Mm. do work with. So I don't feel like they're getting into like, you know, that, or some people are, are kind of like, actually like what feels like my most pressing issue is like not being able to stop thinking about food, these different behaviors, those different things that I mentioned before. And like, maybe I can like table this feeling, right. Because it's totally normal. I, I think that most people have a feeling of wanting to lose weight or to like yeah. change their way. So I, right. I also think that's super important to validate. And I'm always like, also, even if we do this work together, if you do decide to work together, this is a conversation that we can have, right? And we can talk about like how like maybe their past experiences, maybe they've experienced weight stigma or um, have had like the, you know, experienced depression in some ways or experienced comments on their body size or just witness that people in our world are treated worse for being in mm. a larger body size. And so it's a very real piece that I think is important to hold space for. And I found that sometimes in holding space for that and like giving permission to talk about it in that way, that sometimes it's like these other parts are what someone actually wants to work together on versus it only being or mostly being focused on weight. I think Hmm. sometimes too, like the way that we talk about health is so intertwined with weight that it's almost like, is this what you're looking for? Which is totally valid and fine. And you have body autonomy and you can pursue this. And I'm not ever going to like, you know, trick someone into work. I'm not interested right in that. But if it's not that, if it's like these other metrics of health or your relationship with food or these other pieces, and you're interested in kind of like separating out 
weight from health and these other pieces that are important to you and aligned with your values, that is something very much that, that we can do. So I kind of will lay some way of that out and kind of see what someone's interested in. And I, I think it's also like an ongoing conversation and that like someone can always like choose what is feeling good to them at different times. Sometimes that changes. And so I think having that conversation and having that just be open for a conversation has been really helpful. That's so well said. I'm also really interested in the idea of changing the outcome measures, because I think this is maybe the most critical piece that would just help us even reframe the whole conversation. Will you just share a little bit more before we before we really even go further into this? Like, what are some of the outcomes that you would be looking for in practice? Yeah. So sometimes someone's had like blood work done, right? Like we can look at like cholesterol or those different yeah. pieces. And we could look at like how their relationship with exercises, like, are they engaging in exercise? How does their relationship with exercise feel? Like I said, like, you know, are, what are your food patterns, like your overall pattern of eating, mm. what foods are incorporated there? What feelings of like guilt or shame are, or aren't coming up? Does it feel like there's like kind of like black and white feelings around food? Like you're eating a certain way during the week and then very differently on the weekend or, you know, in the way that like kind of, you know, eating well and putting that in quotes during the week and then like feeling yeah. it's like cheap meals are like free for all over the weekend. I think that some of those can be metrics. And then some other pieces that people will come up as like feeling more confident in their food choices, like being able to be in a certain situation. Sometimes it's like, oh, I want to be able to like next year, I want to be able to go to this event and like have these different things. Or I want to be able to like go to this like wedding and be in this wedding party and feel, you know, like I'm not just constantly criticizing my body the whole time. Or I want to be able to like take photos with my family and they like put them on my wall and not feel super like, you know, only have this really negative dialogue about what I look like or not take these photos because I, I know that that dialogue comes up. I want to be able to have these memories. And so sometimes they're more like specific pieces and then sometimes they're more like actual kind of like metrics that we can get. But I think that one, like framing those towards the values and then also kind of like coming up with a list of, of those can be really helpful because it's, I think that something that social media also or just maybe sometimes the messaging around a non-diet approach is mm. it's a free-for-all and there's no yeah. metrics and there's like no rules and there's just kind of like you're kind of like out floating in space. And I think that can sound really overwhelming and it would be really overwhelming, but I think the idea is more like how can we create a structure that feels supportive to you where you're at now? And right. that might be like maybe when you were dieting or following a really strict plan, you really enjoyed like not needing to think every day about what you were going to make for dinner or what you were going to have for dinner. Right. And like that gave you a lot of relief. You didn't like maybe how restrictive it felt on that plan or the specific foods that were there, but you liked the structure of it. You liked not needing to like spend that much brain space thinking about it. So how can we take some of that structure and say, what are things that you typically like to have throughout the week or throughout the day and make you know, like have those ingredients on hand or come up with some like basic framework so that you can have those pieces. Like I think the nuance there too, right? Like planning out your meals isn't inherently dieting or something, you know, like some really rigid piece. It can be more just like practically this is helpful to me, right? right. And kind of shifting that. hundred percent. 
A hundred percent. Okay. So now, so on this note, because I just want to make sure you give us this, this kind of, I mean, I feel like we have definitely clarified a lot of these things that I think often get misconstrued so often about an intuitive eating approach versus any other. But I, I think something we got to get out there is like, the idea that someone shouldn't want to lose weight, that's definitely not anywhere within this message, right? Like, I, and I, I think like what I'd love to hear from you is the, the dichotomy of like, it's not about weight loss, right? Like, let's just use the sort of marketing picture, right? Because we're... <laughs> because we're nuanced humans that are not talking about just the way that it's presented, right? Like, but if the, if on one hand you get the very generalized, it's not about weight loss, right? And then on the other side, you get the one third of the population is obese and we are in crisis, you know, and obesity as a risk factor can be a risk factor for chronic disease. How do we reckon these things and where do we start? I would say that I guess the the place that I fall into and like the way that I would frame it is like that our health behaviors Mm. also have a great impact on our health. And so that we can focus on those health behaviors and that for many, many years, many people and many people still do really focus on like this weight specifically, but like Mm. oftentimes the way that, and this is not to sound too connected, but like the way that weight changes also is like as a result of other changes, it's not changing inherently. And so I think- you know, that's not to say that we're tricking these things into being a weight right, loss goal, right. right? But just that focusing on these behaviors are what has like a really great impact on our health and they, we can control them and we can like adapt them. And so thinking about the framework being focused on that, and that is focusing on health, right? And that like, for a lot of people, that's like a big relief. And I think it also makes it less black and white, right? I think sometimes the idea of like, if someone's going to say, okay, I'm going to start exercising, right? And I'm going to, because I, I want to lose weight. So I'm going to start going to the gym. Like what happens if like you reach your goal weight mm. and then do you continue those behaviors? Do you continue going to the gym or were you only doing it for that outcome, which maybe now you've reached, but I think that also can kind of keep it in this black and white area of then like, okay, now I no longer need to engage in these behaviors because I've reached this goal versus it being like, how is someone looking at like the sustainability of these different things and incorporating them into their life in a way that they can continue doing them live aligned with their values and be like pursuing health or engaging in healthy behaviors without kind of the, the end point that sometimes can come with that. Yet again, so well said, so perfectly well said. No, it's so true. I mean, I think exercise is actually probably the best possible example too, because more movement is generally, again, one of those things that can be mostly positive for most people. What's so interesting about that is that I think it's so true how much of the conversation around what is the actual goal is Mm -hmm. really like, we need a whole new kind of guidepost. We need like, because it should be in an ideal world, you're continuing to exercise because it makes you feel good (laughs) or Mm -hmm. because you love the type of activity that you happen to be doing. And that can change. Like that also can change, right? Like it can be one thing for a number of years and then it can be something totally different and then, or it can be all over the place and it can be something different every day. But that the actual idea of what is the purpose of this is what I feel like we've become so disconnected from, or, or maybe we haven't, but we just haven't, we've lost the ability to talk about it that way. Mm -hmm. All right. So what about this other topic that I wanted to get your take on, which is the body positivity versus, maybe not versus, but for the sake of 
not keeping you here with me for the rest of time, which I really could do because I just love talking to you, but body positivity versus body neutrality. Can you explain the difference? Where do you stand on this, on all of this? And what's your take? Mm -hmm. Totally. I think body positivity was actually part of like the fat acceptance movement in the mid 1950s. And so with that, I think there's like a lot of historical piece that comes with that. And that was kind of like this radical part that was like feeling positive about these bodies that had often been like stigmatized and, and oppressed. And so what's interesting is that now on social media, hashtag body positivity shows a much different lens into people. It's a lot of white women. It's a lot of like thinner bodied white women who like, who maybe struggle with body image, but oftentimes are not being stigmatized in the same way that experiencing oppression in the same way. And I think that's also an interesting piece of like struggling with body image versus like being oppressed or marginalized. Right. And that that's different. Um, and like both are a struggle, but they are different as well. So body positivity, I think is the idea of like feeling positive about your body, right. Or like sometimes this like radical, um, Sonia Renee Taylor wrote a really Mm. great book called the body is not an apology. Yes. I'm Um, dying to read this actually should read that. Yeah. It's really, really powerful. It's also not very long. And she also has a recording of Mm. it too. She does like poetry as well, like spoken word. And so it's really powerful to listen to. So I, I feel like that's a fun way to listen to it, but basically this idea of like radical self-acceptance and those might be slightly different. I don't know if she associates with body positivity as much, but so anyway, body positivity, I think is kind of co-opted. Now we see a much different lens of it. And I think it can kind of become a little bit confusing the way that it's portrayed on social media, like who it's for and what it's about. But I think the general idea is like feeling positive in your body versus body neutrality is this more neutral lens that is like, this is how my body is. And I'm like, I'm noticing this and I'm like working on being okay with this. I don't need to feel awesome about my body. I don't need to, they love all of these different pieces of my body, but I can like feel more neutral towards it and respect it and take care of it. And I think it's very hard for us to take care of something that we hate or have a lot of really negative feelings around. Right. And so in that way, I would say a lot of the times body neutrality is something that comes up in my work with clients, but also sometimes like body positivity is like someone wants to feel more positive about their body too. But I think that neutrality is a really helpful and powerful place to be at because it's kind of like, instead of evaluating your body in this way of like, is this good? Is this bad? Is this okay? Is this not okay? Is this acceptable? It's like, this is, and like, you are, and this is okay because you're a living human being in a body. Right. And so like inherently you are enough, right? Like you're okay. Your body is okay. And so I think that can be a really powerful reframe. Oh, you make me feel so much better about, I need to be a little bit more neutral about my shoulders because I'm like, sitting here like I'm trying to get into the camera I, Liz, I, I'm, like I'm leaning forward and I'm like my hands right. to not uh use my hands so much I'm gonna positively stretch my back out as I ask you our last question because I have to let you go but tell us right now okay mm-hmm. Elon Musk wants you to go to space with him he's like listen I'm here in the Bay Area and I just was thinking You, me, and my mom, who's also a dietitian, fun fact, I don't know if everyone knows that, that his mother is, in fact, an RD. Now, what you're packing, you're packing, but also you're about to have your last meal pre-space travel. What's on the menu? What are we having? This can be completely agnostic to the why, 
we're just having a fantasy moment of like, where are the favorite places that you would go? What would be your most beloved menu items? Oh, that's so exciting. Um, I can't wait to go to space. Right. (laughs) The meal part is exciting to me. (laughs) Um, I would probably go to, I'd probably, maybe I'd make it like a crawl. Yes. Oh, it's it's usually a crawl. I should have given that caveat. Yeah. It's usually a crawl. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I would probably go to New York. This is going to be a lame New York response, but I'm going to go to New York and get Stumptown coffee because I lived really close to there when I lived in New York and I just love that little place on West 8th. Um, so that'd be a nostalgia little, get a, get a cappuccino and then would probably get a croissant recently. I had from Arsico, which is this bakery in SF, which is delicious. Like an almond croissant would be amazing. And then when I first was thinking about this, I was thinking kind of a lame answer, but maybe it makes sense if I'm kind of packing myself up, um, would be like a turkey sandwich, like a really good turkey sandwich oh. on like sourdough bread from this place called The Mill in SF. Which Do you know, I think has- I've been there. I think I've only been to San Francisco like two, uh, maybe not <gasps> very many so times, good. but I have definitely been there. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay, great. You can picture it. So I'm there getting my bread to get my sandwich um, with like a really good pickle and a honeycrisp apple, I think would be ideal for me. Can I just give a major shout out to the fact that this is our first sandwich on this podcast. A sandwich is a part of last week. It's a power move. A sandwich is a power move, Brenna. I feel really strongly about that because a sandwich is an underrated delight. Like we don't, I mean, this is why it's so, it feels deeply personal to you when you see somebody using fucking bell peppers as bread. Now I understand. That's right. Where is the sourdough bread from the mill? (laughs) Exactly. All right. Well, I'm so happy that we had a chance to actually do this. And I'm so happy. I just feel like I learned so much in just one hour, which is amazing. So thank you for being here. It was such a treat and such a delight. Tell our listeners where they can find you and learn more and hopefully work with you. Yeah, I'm at the Wellful on Instagram and on TikTok. I'm currently locked out of my TikTok account, but trying oh, to get back. Fun times, right? I know. And then my website is thewellful.com as well. So I'm accepting. Um, I work with clients one on one on their relationship with intuitive eating, body image, disordered eating support, and yeah, you can find more information at at both of those places. Thanks so much for tuning in today to this episode of On the Side with Jackie London. If you enjoyed today's episode, please snap a screenshot of your podcast app on your phone, post it to your Instagram stories, and tag me at JacquelineLondonRD to let me know your favorite takeaway from any part of the episode. If you're loving the show, if there's a topic you'd love to hear more about or a guest you'd love to listen to here, I'd absolutely love to hear from you. You can scroll down on your podcast app to where it says ratings and reviews and rate this one five stars, of course, and share your feedback. Your words might just be what the next person needs to tune in and start feeling more empowered and living better one meal or snack at a time. Of course, be sure to follow On The Side wherever you get your podcasts to ensure you won't miss out on any episodes. And remember to check us out. Check out the Q&A deep dive on the On The Side YouTube channel. This show is produced and edited by Elizabeth Evans Media Productions. I'm your host and executive producer, Jacqueline London. Keep in mind that any advice provided on this podcast is based off of my clinical judgment and application of research and practice as a registered dietitian, and it should not take the place of medical advice from your own personal physician. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.